welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about things you should be doing, or at least could consider doing in your soybeans. If you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to let you know, next week we've got a couple of Ag PhD workshops coming up. If you come to our farm and to the Ag PhD Field Day site to join us in person, these seminars are free. On Monday, we're going to be doing an Ag PhD tiling clinic where we go through start to finish what you need to know if you're going to tile on your farm and even if you want to tile yourself on your farm I'd encourage you if you have any drainage issues at all there's just no substitute for tiling and it's so important to learn not just how to put it in but to learn all the environmental benefits to tiling and all the things that you are going to need to talk to your neighbors about, to the county, possibly the state, NRCS, all that kind of stuff. So got a lot of information for you on Monday at the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. But then on Tuesday, we have our corn agronomy workshop. Now, both of these seminars, Monday and Tuesday, are 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we'll give you a book when you arrive Everything's free, meal, the whole works. Main reason why we do these workshops is just to say thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for watching Ag PhD TV. We really appreciate it. And quite frankly, it's fun for us talking about agronomic stuff, and it's right on our farm. I literally have to drive one mile from my house to go to our workshops. So pretty awesome, pretty convenient for us. Great facility. We can host about a thousand farmers in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Uh, We won't have that many people at either one of these seminars. I I mean, with everything that's kind of going on in our society right now, our events will be a little bit smaller, especially the tiling clinic. So you'll have lots of opportunity to ask questions and things like that. We also have a live stream option for Monday. We don't for Tuesday, but for Monday we do have a live stream option. So for any of our Ag PhD Magazine subscribers, if you would like to watch the tiling clinic, you certainly can. And if you want more information about that, you can either go to agphdinsider.com, that's our magazine site, or just agphd.com, and you can find out all the details right there. So again, tiling clinic next week on Monday corn agronomy workshop on Tuesday. Later in February, we have some other opportunities for you if you would like to join us. We have a soybean agronomy workshop February 15th. We've got a naturals workshop where we're going to talk about biologicals and a lot of these, let's call it alternative methods to increase yields on Wednesday, February 16th. And then at the end of February, Neil Kinsey is going to be in. Now, his event is not free. It's it's Neil. Normally, he actually charges a lot for his seminars. But because we have such a big crowd all the time, he's charging a tremendous amount less. So it's in the range of $195 to $225 per person. If you would like to spend three days with Neil Kinsey, Darren, myself, uh, and others. So Lots of great soils information at that Neil Kinsey seminar. That is coming up the end of February. Oh, and I guess since we're talking about upcoming events, I'll tell you about a couple more. We have, so I'll step back probably, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, something like that. We started having 
collegiate agronomy workshops where we would talk to college-age students about how to raise better crops and just a lot of these agronomic basic things that we talk about, kind of going through tiling soils in a more abbreviated version. And then at the end, we'd give away a bunch of college scholarships. Well, we're doing that same kind of thing, but last year we changed it to a summer event so we could actually bring all these young people out into the field and show them things in the field that they need to know in addition to doing some classroom stuff. So anyway, we call it our scouting and scholarships event. So if you have anyone that you know of that is college age and is looking for a college scholarship, we're going to give away a whole bunch of college scholarships that day, but you have to be present in order to get one of them. But anyway, it's Saturday, June 25th. You can go to agphd.com to learn more about that event. And of course, our big event of the year is the Ag PhD Field Day. That's Thursday, July 28th. So it's always the last Thursday in July. Last year, we had our best attendance ever. It was somewhere between 10 and 12,000 people came from all over the country and a few foreign countries as well. Even with all the travel restrictions and everything, we had people from all over the world. But it's a really fun event. I just spent the afternoon yesterday talking to all of our people. So Darren and I kind of went through with them all the things that we wanted, and they had they brought us all their ideas on what we're doing for the Ag PhD Field Day this year. It's going to be our biggest and best event ever. We're going to have a lot more ride-and-drive type things. Actually, I should pull up my notes from yesterday uh, on, on all the things we talked about. But uh, even for our ride-and-drive area... Our our people were so excited about that because they go, look, we've never had this before and we've never had that before. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome, but we're going to need a lot of space in order to do this. Our Egg PhD field day site, in, in total, we have lots of acres. Okay, we farm like 3,400 crop acres. So we have plenty of ground that we could use, but we usually take about 100 acres uh, and do the Egg PhD field day. But this year we might be expanding that just a little bit because it looks to me like uh, uh, we're going to need a little more space. So anyway, a couple of the things that we're doing this year that we've never done before. Manure application. Now it's going to be water we're pumping through, but we're going to show injection of manure. We're planning also to cut silage that day. We've never cut silage at the field day before. We're going to have, I believe at this point, three different autonomous vehicles running in the field that day. We've got a super large spreader that's going to be spreading dry fertilizer that day. Uh, Sprayer, combine, planter, tillage tools, tractors running, lots of ride and drive opportunities. So in addition to all the great learning chances you have with just basic agronomy and bringing in guest speakers and some of the best farmers in the world and all the plots and everything else, we've got all this ride and drive section too. So again, that's the Ag PhD Field Day, always the last Thursday in July. Okay, so I said today we're going to talk a little about things you could or should be doing in your soybeans. We'll get to that right after this. Stay tuned. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at FarmShopMFG.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about things you could consider doing in your soybeans to increase yield or increase your profits. First on the show, we've got our friend Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. Yourself? Excellent. All right. So our topic again today, things you should or could consider doing in your soybeans or just to help your overall soybean profitability. When I say that, what are the first couple things that stand out to you? Uh Both ends of the gamut for me. I I think about uh, first thing, getting uh, the the furrow closed, getting uh, your uh, seeds off to a uh, great start, getting uh, maximum uh, population. And then uh, on the other end is uh, if they came out of the field a little dry, uh, having a fan control to rehydrate them. And uh, both of them are nice money makers. Yeah, let's start at the end, and then we can go back mm-hmm. to the beginning. You just said bin fan controls. We've talked about that for quite a few years now. It With soybeans, it, we don't really think about it, I don't feel like, as farmers, because I look at this as a hidden profit loss where if you have 13% moisture soybeans and you haul them into the grain elevator, awesome. If you haul in 11% moisture beans, there's no dock or anything, so you don't really even think about it. And you say, oh, 11 is pretty close to 13. Well, it is. But you start multiplying that at today's price, and it's dollars, many, many dollars per acre, and it would not take much to afford a bin fan control. When you talk bin fan controls, let's say I had a 10,000 bushel bin, I mean, what am I looking at roughly for cost to get things set up? If you are, if you want to go with just a basic system of being able to uh, control the fans on and off, and this leaves you manually uh, testing your grain, you're looking at uh, 2,300. And in fact, if you went with the winter discounts, uh, it's literally 2,000 right now. Okay, so the, uh, so I want something a little bit more automated than that because I've tried that before, and it can be done. But let's face it, we're all as farmers busy. So so how about a little more automated? Okay, next is on that 10,000 bushel bin, I would uh, look at putting a couple of uh, 
uh, alarm HT monitors on it, which HT is humidity and temperature. That's going to give me uh, sensing humidity in two locations, the bottom and the top of the green column. We can actually set that up and have the fan control then slaved to those units so that uh, we're going to set a humidity target. And if we're looking at 13%, the number is plus or minus 13, depending on what the temperature is. I mean 13, 68. It's plus or minus 68% humidity. We can have those units asking for the fans to come on till both units have reached 68. And then they're going to quit asking and the fan's going to quit trying to run. On the other end, that fan control is going to be picking uh, humidity settings in the outside air to run that are going to be beneficial to whatever we're doing, whether we're adding moisture, which is part of what we're talking here, or say on the other end, we've uh, got some wetter beans and we're trying to dry them down a little bit. Yeah, we do that all the time. So so, so roughly, what are we talking then for cost? With On a 10,000 bushel bin, that combination is going to be uh, uh, 3,300 uh, in season. Uh, right now, it'll be a little bit less than 3,000. So three grand. Yeah, that's not much. So basically, one year, in one year, you should easily pay for that. And I assume that's what most people talk about, well, right? The, well, you'll pay for it even quicker than that. The quick math, let's just say we're putting three points of moisture in that 10,000 bushel bin. Yep. That's a, that's a half a semi-load, which today is worth, uh, what, uh, six 7000 bucks for a half a load? Um, it's uh, worth a lot. You know, yeah, so, it is. Yeah, yeah, I'd say something well, like that. You know, well, quick math, a thousand bushel yep. load uh, yeah. today it is fourteen thousand. Half a load, seven thousand. Yep, yep, you're right. You 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 paid for it and you banked four thousand bucks. <laughs> yep, yep, not a bad deal. All right, hey Tony, uh, we got to get running today. You brought up some good things though. Again, you said furrow close, good start, population control, or you know having uh, making sure your your population's actually there, and then the bin fan controls. And yeah, I just I can't talk enough about those bin fan controls. Made a lot of difference for us. The big thing, and just real quick before you go, I'll I'll just say what I've liked has been on the high side rather than the low side, because now I can start my harvest at seventeen percent moisture instead of having to wait until I start my harvest at thirteen percent moisture. And and it buys me extra days in the fall. So number one means I need less labor. And number two means I can get more done in the fall. So I'm not killing myself when our weather gets horrible. Anyway, uh, we've been talking to Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go next over to Minnesota. we got Beth Stoll on with us uh, with FMC. Beth, how's it going today? It's going great. Thank you. All right. So we're talking today about things you should or could be doing in your soybeans. So I'm just going to guess, being with FMC, you'd probably advise a farmer to put a pre-emerge herbicide down and probably maybe later on spray a post-emerge fungicide, right? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so so what do you see that makes the most difference for farmers out of those couple things or anything else you can think of that a lot of people just aren't doing? Well, I think this year, I know in, in my territory in Minnesota, people are a little bit more focused on maybe putting down a product, um, a pre-emerge product that's a little bit stronger on, on grass. Um, so we are seeing some movement or, over towards products like Authority Edge and Authority Supreme. We, 
we sell a lot of the Authority First products over here just because we do have issues with giant ragweed control, and those have performed very well. But um, just because of kind of the unknown of knowing exactly how much Roundup is going to be around or glyphosate, um, I think some people are thinking about doing something a little bit stronger um, in the pre-emerge. Another thing that, you know, since beans are a little bit stronger price than what they've been maybe over the last few years, um, I've got a few people that are going to give us a shot to try some Ethos XB, which is an insecticide and biological fungicide combination in soybeans to see if we can't pick up a couple of extra bushels from that. And um, just kind of toy with that program um, to see, just because we're starting to plant soybeans earlier and earlier every year. One of the biggest ones, and especially when I think of your products, Anthem Max, I think is really underutilized early post right. in soybeans where I've got that PPO cadet component and then I've got the Zidua or the active ingredient found in Zidua. So I got a group 15 and a PPO. Talk to us about that for just a minute. Absolutely. That's been a super strong program um, to layer over the top of that pre-emerge because that that active ingredient or proxysulfone is one of the longest lasting um, group 15s on yes. the market. And then you put it in combination with Cadet and put it with, you know, in some situations, a Liberty program or an Enlist program to enhance lambs quarter control and then extend that water hemp control further into the season. And it is very underutilized because it's a great choice for farmers uh, in that that first pass after, you know, early po post-emerge. Beth, I'll just throw this in before we let you go today. So there's an agronomist I do a lot of stuff with down in Nebraska, and he just said a lot of his guys switched over to Anthem Max. And I realize I'm giving you a shameless plug here, but um, he said a lot right. of his growers have switched over to that because of the low use rate. Because he said these guys have so many bulk tanks, and they're getting sick of all the bulk tanks. But with Anthem Max, it's got this really low use rate compared to all those other post-residuals. And you mentioned the peroxisulfone, the Zidua component. Um, that's actually the longest uh, residual for a Group 15, and it's not even close compared to the dual outlook, right. harness, or pass, anything else. So, no, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of good options there. Um, well, Beth, right. it's been great talking to you today. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, another, actually another idea this spring um, where we do have some no-till no soybeans where guys still maybe want to use that authority first, but is a three-ounce rate of authority first and a three-ounce rate of Anthem Max in the first uh, pass for some burn-down control in soybeans as well, where you're getting that group 14 and group 15 together to lay just a great foundation down for water hemp and then getting the benefit of the burn down yep, I, um, I, from yep. the other components. Yeah, absolutely agree. Again, Beth Stoll with FMC. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Thanks for joining us today here at Ag PhD Radio. My name is Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, and next on the show, we're pleased to be joined by our good friend Matt Miles. He's with Extreme Ag, and he farms down in the state of Arkansas. Matt, how are you today? Doing pretty good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. So what's happening at this time of year on your farm? Well, like today, that's, I almost forgot about the radio show, to be honest with you. Rob and I were in there going over... Uh, soil samples, variety selections, uh, looking at yield data, looking mainly at, you know, our our uh, data we had from last year on what products we tested that worked, didn't work. Uh, then across the way here, you know, the rest of the guys are rebuilding, uh, rebuilding some tillage equipment and just about to start on the planter. So a little bit of everything. How early will you start planting in your farm? You know, we've been pushing that date and pushing that date, you know, on soybeans. Uh, last year, we were March 16th, and, and that depends on, you know, the 10, 15-day forecast. But uh, we every year we plant earlier, that's normally been our best soybeans. I was just on a panel today 
<clears throat> with the go for the green contestants, you know, there was like 12 guys went over a hundred bushels this year in Arkansas in the contest. And, and the general consensus was everybody was planting earlier and, uh, the planting date, the average planting date was like April 19th, which in the past years has been two to three weeks later than that. So I think everyone's starting to figure out the, the earlier, the better, you know, based on having the right forecast in front of you. What do you mean by the right forecast? What are you looking for? Well, I mean, you know, just not a bunch of freezing frost, uh, you know, type temperatures. If we can keep the nighttime temperatures, you know, above, say, 40 and the daytime temperatures in the 60, 65 range, you know, I'm, I, uh, two years ago, I would have told you I wouldn't even consider planting beans then, but today I would tell you that, that everything would be good. You'll still get a surprise there every now and then, but, uh, you know, beans are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for several years ago. Now, Matt, let me ask you this. Have you actually tried to plant beans, though, when the forecast does look horrific? Nah, not, I mean, <laughs> not, maybe some, you know, but not, I mean, it, you know, if it's, if it's showing, you know, three or four days where we're going to get frost now, and, and, it, and it's hard to guess that here in Arkansas because it'll be 70 one day and, and, and 40 the next. So yep. that, that's a little bit of a challenge for us. Yep. Uh, and I think y'all had some of that kind of weather this oh, yeah. year, yep. but yeah, I mean, we're always out there sometimes at the wrong times, but I, I'll tell you, I've not seen, I've not seen where a soybean, you know, without just extremely freezing temperatures at night, um, won't come on and come through that. It may take them three weeks to come up, but they'll come up. Well, that's the reason why I ask when, when you, you said about the weather, that's why I wanted to find out what you're talking about, because we have people up here now that have, have no issue planting super early and the ground is going to get really super cold here for us quite often. So after they plant, that soil temp will drop down into the upper 30s. The nighttime temps will be below freezing. They might get some snow, but they go, nope, I'm still getting the best yields. So that's why I was curious if you'd, if you'd actually experimented with it or you're just kind of a little gun shy. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I get it. You don't want to plant the beans and disaster happens. But anyway, what else can you tell us about well, soybeans? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you, I guess you could say hold our beer because uh, <laughs> this year we're probably going to, we're going to put them in some situations, you know, in small <laughs> acreages to oh, where sure. I'm not going to go out and plant 500 acres, but, <laughs> but I may plant a hundred, 200 acres around the first of March, you know, and see kind of what happens. Yeah. Yep. All right. So early planting top on the list for you. What else with soybeans would you tell us that has been really important for increasing the yields on your farm? Well, just, you know, drainage and fertility, uh, of course, drainage and fertility and timing, planting dates, those, those are the main thing. And just once you get that bean up and get it growing, you know, just reducing stress is the name of the game, whether that's through a, you know, we do a mandatory fungicide application. Uh, we're big on the seed treatment, you know, making sure we got a good start and, uh, you know, start clean, stay clean as far as the weeds and then, you know, timely irrigation. It, all those things together, we, we haven't really found a magic bullet. Uh, you know, we're working with some things through extreme ag, some different PGRs and stuff we're seeing and some fertility, you know, with the, with micros that we're seeing positive results with. And, uh, you know, I, I, but the thing about the thing about soybeans to me, if you do the basic agronomy and basic fertility, get the right weather, that's, that's 90% of your, of your challenge right there. 
So once you get in season, you mentioned PGRs. Are you putting PGRs with herbicides or fungicides or anything else, or are you trying to spray them by themselves? No, we're we're actually piggybacking them with with some with other things. I mean, I'd have to look back at my data last year, but I know that we put some in furrow, and then we came back and put some out. You know, piggyback some with our fungicide also. And 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 I was like I was saying on the panel today. And funny story, and I know we got to be quick, but for 25 years, I've looked for a five-bean pod, even had a bounty of $100 for a five-bean pod with all my guys. Last year, after the fifth $100 bill I gave out, I said, guys, we got to quit. I mean, we got <laughs> H2A workers finding two and three at a time. And I don't know if that was the weather or what we're doing working with these PGRs, but we did see a pretty big difference last year on, you know, if we can get a few fives and a lot of fours, that you know, in seed size, I mean, you know how big a deal that is. Yeah, absolutely. It is those two things. It's number of beans in the pod and then that size. The size is, it, it's such, it just makes such a difference. Even a tiny little fraction bigger on every single bean, and you have many more bushels on a per acre basis. All right, you mentioned fungicide. Talk to us about fungicide. How many times are you running in soybeans, and when do you like to spray your fungicide in soybeans? We like to spread R3. Uh, we have done some multiple applications. We don't always get an ROI, positive ROI when we do, you know, say two, say two different applications, but we're mandatory going to put a R3 out there. Now, I'm not, we may not put insecticide out there. Uh, you know, we're pretty, pretty adamant about it. If, if we got uh, beneficials out there, we don't want to kill those guys. So, but at R3, we're putting a, a fungicide application out there. Normally, a, a, a premium fungicide. We've picked up, you know, an average of six bushels, seven bushels an acre off of, say, Revitech and, and, and 13 bushels off the check. And we finally quit testing it, to be honest with you, Brian, because it's always a return. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's just I know this year everybody's talking about shortages, so a lot of guys I think are going to have to go to option two or option three on the fungicide piece. But the good news is there are a lot of really super good new ones with multiple modes of action, like Revitech. You mentioned three modes of action. Well, Bears now got Delaro Complete that we think is going to be just as good. That's also three mode of action, and there are other companies too. Uh, I, I would yeah, say I too Delaro Complete. I'm sorry. No, I, Delaro Complete last year was we had a little a little plot of, of three different fungicides. Now this is on corn, but it actually outperformed uh, outperformed everything last year. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it. I know that one is really good. It's got a a super good tries all. But anyway, it's three modes of action. But I just look at this year with whether it's my corn or my beans. I'm looking at right off the combine what our prices are for fall. We're 13 bucks locally on soybeans, and I'm going, you know, yes, I'm focused on ROI, but I got a lot better chance for many things that might not normally pay to pay this year. So is there anything extra that you think, hey, you know what, because the price of beans is so good, I think I might do this one more thing that I wouldn't normally do when beans are 8 bucks. Yeah, probably I would add, you know, I'll probably at least add another uh, potassium foliar application and uh, and probably also, can, you know, maybe another uh, PGR application. We're still working with that PGR piece, but yeah, 100% agree with you. With $13 beans and, and we're not having to rely on the fertility as far as, you know, like nitrogen costs being higher, there's a lot of cool things we'll be able to do in beans that we didn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do if they were 8 or $9. Yep, absolutely. 
Well, we've been talking to Matt Miles. He is down in Arkansas, farms down there, fantastic farmer. Been up to our Ag PhD field day many times. Hopefully you'll be up here again this year, Matt. And I, I just for our audience, I'll let you know, you can go to extremeag.farm to check out what Matt and some of those other farmers he's working with are doing there. Matt, thanks again for the time today. Appreciate it. Yes, sir, buddy. Thank you, and good luck this year. <laughs> Thanks. Good luck to you. All right. Uh, we've talked a little about things you could or should be doing in your soybeans. We'll cover a little more of that, and then we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work how to put something ahead of myself. Whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest, farming taught me to give it my best no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. 
Before we get to the Ag PhD mailbag, we got to get back to the phone lines. we got Jared calling in from Illinois. Jared, how are you today? Doing all right, Brian. Just surviving COVID quarantine. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that is going around, I hear. So anyway, Jared, let's focus today on our uh, on soil tests and what your question is, because otherwise we're going to uh, spend a lot of time probably talking about COVID. But I, I got your soil test information here. What, 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 what are your big questions for us? So my big question is, I'm looking at the particular field I sent you, and yep. this is true of all the fields for this particular grower. He has phosphorus length levels ranging from 24 to 75 yep. uh, pounds per acre. Mm-hmm. And so obviously some field, some areas are needing more effort than others, but now we're going to be applying maintenance and product, uh, possibly compromising our copper and, and zinc issues in other areas. Yep. My quest, my question is, is, do we sacrifice the the copper and zinc problem until we got the phosphorus more leveled out with just simply PRT, or do we need to address those simultaneously with the with the phosphorus application? Okay, so one of the things for and for all of our listeners here, I would just say one of the big things we've been talking about recently has been phosphorus to copper ratio in addition to we've talked for the last few years about phosphorus to zinc so it just depends on whose soil test you're looking at so don't think that this is set in stone based on whatever your tests are so i can't necessarily say for sure but a lot of times we're talking roughly eight to one or ten to one phosphorus to zinc so in other words 10 parts of phosphorus to one part zinc and then roughly 30 to one phosphorus to copper and it doesn't have to be exactly that but if you start getting that range really close like on our farm for example we started getting down to four to one five to one phosphorus to copper and we had a real problem i mean not super dramatic but our yields definitely went down so and it works the other way too when i look at yours and i say okay on average like with that phosphorus let's see i got uh, 48 on average so if I'm at 48 there, and then on my copper, I am at, uh, let's see, the average is 2.1. So if I, I do the math just you know, off the top of my head, you know, it's roughly 25 to 1 or something around there. That's fine. I don't have any big issue with that. The problem that I've got is the phosphorus to zinc. Uh, your zinc on average is 1.75. So we're, we're, we're not there. You're... What, that, that'd probably be similar, a little more, 25 or 30 to 1. So you need to tighten that zinc up just a little bit. Here's the one good thing. So everybody's complaining about fertilizer prices, and I get it. I am too. But zinc sulfate's still really inexpensive. So it does not take many dollars to raise that zinc up a little bit. So if it's me and I looked at this soil test and I said, hey, this is my ground, what am I going to do? Um, yeah, you've already got decent levels of phosphorus, I'm going to I'm gonna bump that a little bit. You know, I got at least put out what the crop's going to take. And then I just bump the zinc a little bit along too, along with that too. I'm not going to spend boatloads of money or anything, but that's one of the biggest things I see on the soil test that I would fix. And then the other big thing I look at is base saturation potassium. I'm only at 2.4%. So it's not a complete killer. It's not like you're going to have no yield or anything like that, but I would want to be continuing to bump that at least a little bit. This is not the year to build it dramatically, but you got to at least put out crop removal and then some if you want max yield. So you're you're suggesting that you would put out maintenance at least and then consider applying like a, a corrected with zinc sulfate as opposed to pulling down the phosphorus levels 
to try and get right. that more in line. Yes. That, I mean, okay. that would be my suggestion. So it, it, when I look at zinc and I say, man, we're only at 1.8 parts per million, that's just not much. If you talk to almost any really high-yield farmer, they're going to say, you got to get the zinc levels up or you don't have good um, emergence. You don't have the microbial life that you'd like to have. And zinc just has impact on so many things in the plant that I can almost promise you that if you ran tissue tests every single week during the growing season, you'd find that half to three quarters of the time, at least your plant's going to be deficient in zinc. And that's, that's just not what we want. So it doesn't cost a lot. I'd be getting some out there for sure. Okay. Very good. I, I, I was thinking that, but I wasn't sure if it was better to pull down the pull down the phosphorus level no. given that range, or or apply the apply the zinc. No, and the reason why I say that is if we were ten to one, just running the simple math. Okay, I said your zinc's at one point eight parts per million. All right, if it was ten to one, that'd only be eighteen parts per million of P one phosphorus. Well, uh, here, tell me what 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 yield goal are we talking? <laughs> uh, on there, I think it's two hundred and fifty. Exactly. 250 yeah. bushel corn, and we're going to say, oh, 18 parts per million of phosphorus is good? No, 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 no. No, no I agree. <laughs> so, I, I agree. Yep. So, hey, the one okay, good thing, very, too, here, Jared, I, I see it's relatively light soil. It must be irrigated, obviously, but, you know, your, your CEC average is about 10. So we'd call that relatively light soil. But even with that, phosphorus, copper, and zinc don't leach away. Potassium to some degree can. I mean, it's not going to go super fast, but you know, with some of these nutrients, we have to be careful about what we do and when we put them on and all that. Phosphorus, copper, and zinc, you just don't have to worry so much. It's not going to leave the field at least. So you can build your level up, get things in ratio, and now you should be in good shape for a while. Unfortunately, it's not irrigated, but the grower does have uh, inferro capability, so that does help him out quite a bit. Yeah, yep, for sure. All right. Thanks for the call, Jared. Appreciate it. Very good. Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right. Today on the show, we were talking a little about things you should or could be doing in your soybeans. And I guess one of the things we, it got mentioned just briefly, but I just think this is so important is soybean seed treatment. Because if you heard Matt Miles, what did he say about 10 times? Plant early, plant early, plant early. There are a lot of people talking about that. The early planted beans are yielding really well, and I'm great with that. But think about the stress that plant's going to have to go under at that point. More, There absolutely will be more disease, I'll promise you, more risk for insect damage, and you've got to help that crop get off to the best start possible. So that's why using a, a seed treatment early is important. But on top of that, did you, did you notice how, like with Matt Miles, he mentioned PGR several times. And what I think about is, rather than just flat out calling them PGRs, we a lot of times say natural products. So then it, it encompasses microbes, hormones, all that stuff. And like for our seed that we'll plant on our farm on soybean seed treatment, just get this, you'll get a charge out of this. Our number this year is 75 things we're putting on the seed. Think about that. 75 things. I can't even believe it. But we found this combination, everything from basically biostimulants and amino acids, besides the fungicide, insecticide, inoculant, kind of the normal stuff. But that helps us when that 
the soil temp is cold, but it helps the beans all the time. So even when, if the soil temp is warm, it's still going to help you. But I just encourage you, if you've never used PGRs, amino acids, some of the microbes and things like that, try some on your farm. So we've been working on experiments with that stuff for 20 years now, and so that's why I feel really comfortable doing it on a few thousand acres. No big deal. Or talking to a lot of farmers about it and having a lot of other people do it. But if you haven't been using any of those things, just try them on a small scale. That will help your crop get off to a good start. On top of that, I would just say, yes, we have Liberty that's crazy high-priced and Roundup that's crazy high-priced. It's not the supply issue. You can get Roundup and Liberty if you really want to. It's just you're going to pay through the nose. So look at other alternatives. There, you can, For the same dollars, you can get many other products that will give you residual, which keep in mind, Roundup and Liberty have no residual. So absolutely consider switching your program. But if you're going to make a switch... You probably want to get started on that right now to get whatever you want secured, get the product, get the price decent, and it's probably going to take a little bit of thought because it's going to be a change. So for you, it might be a little more stressful this year because, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get this product or that product. It More than that, it's, hey, there's a way to save money by switching what you're using. Instead of going with the Liberty or the Roundup this year, let's make a change and I, I, like I say, any change is a little stressful. So get started on that early. I just really encourage you. There are lots of good options that are still reasonably priced. All right. Right after this, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. And if you've got a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We wanna share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. All right, I don't think we're going to get our mailbag music played today, but we can go right to our first question. This one is from Diego from Argentina. He says, I watched the Ag PhD Wheat Clinic the other day, and I got a question. Do you add some water when you're applying liquid 28%? We always apply it alone here in Argentina. And if you do apply if you do use some water, how much do you use? All right, so Diego, I would just say if you're trying to to broadcast spray across the top of a growing wheat crop, then we like having water in there. And I would just say at a minimum, if let's say we were using 10 gallons of 28%, we'd put in 10 gallons of water. That's the minimum. If you really wanted to make it safe for the wheat, then you'd go double water versus how much 28%. So in other words, 10 gallons of 28%, 20 gallons of water, then it would really safen that out. Otherwise, most of the time what we suggest to people is stream barring. So you're putting little streams out and then as long as it's not like super windy, those streams can get to the ground pretty easily without causing a lot of leaf burn and a lot of leaf damage. And then we are in that case running straight liquid 28%. All right, uh, Dwayne from Saskatchewan just called in, and he had a question for us. He said, with all the seed treatments you've talked about, do you get any dusting off, like when you're mixing dry ingredients? Okay, so I, I would just say, Dwayne, yes, with dry products, you absolutely can get some dusting. And so that's why a lot of farmers anymore are having the seed company, like for soybeans or even for wheat, treat the seed with a liquid. And then in that seed treatment, there's a polymer. And the polymer basically coats that seed, locks the the treatment in. And so we don't have near the dusting off problem that we used to when we were running so many dry products. And certainly you can run dry. I mean, I I like dry products. We have uh, like NutraShield we'll use occasionally in our farm. That's a combination of heat shield and NutraCycle biologicals. We use some dry inoculant from time to time. I mean, there are certainly dry products out there. Um, I, I, I would talk to your supplier and see about the safety factor. When it's a when it's a biological, and I realize the word biological sounds scary, I prefer the term natural. When it's a natural product, then I'm not as worried about safety. But nevertheless, you want to talk to your supplier about that. So if there is the potential for dust off, you want to know, hey, is it safe? or is it not? All right, next question comes from Brendan. He said, hey guys, I've sent you a soil sample of a rented field of mine. 
She's lacking a bit in the numbers, and I definitely have a drainage problem, so I've done some surface draining to fix some of that. Uh, and let's see. So anyway, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. He says, do you have a uh, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur blend, or something else you'd recommend to put down for soybean fertilizer removal of, say, 45 bushel yield? I was thinking about putting it down with the bean-on-bean bean acres I have this year. Oh, and P.S. He says, I enjoyed the wheat and soils clinics, uh, trying to understand more of what's going on and to do a better job on my farming to be profitable in the end. Well, thanks for that, Brendan. We appreciate it. So I looked at Brendan's soil tests here, and I got a few things that are a little concerning to me. So first of all, his cation exchange capacity says it's around 40. 40! That's really high. And his phosphorus levels are only around three parts per million on Olson test. Uh, the soil pH is in the low eights. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. And, yes, your drainage does appear like it could be a problem based on some of the other factors that I'm looking at in here. You're never going to solve the drainage issue unless tile gets in that field. So, honestly, what I would do is I'd go to the landlord and I would talk to that person about possibly putting some tile into the ground. There are a lot of ways you can do that. We'll be talking about that at our tiling clinic coming up on this coming Monday and, and working together with landlords to improve the land. But anyway, either way, I, I'm looking at in the short term here, you're going to want to do something for phosphorus for sure. So I understand the question about the PKS blend. As far as the sulfur goes, though, you've got really good levels of sulfur. And the problem, so I'm not going to put any sulfur out. You got all kinds of sulfur there. The the potassium, though, that one is a little concerning, but here's why. Number one, everything is 1.5% base saturation K or less. So that's really low. But the problem is you've got potassium range of, let's see, 172 parts per million all the way up to 420 parts per million. So I'm not saying it, so I'm saying it's not consistent, your levels throughout the field, but nevertheless, you need some potassium, but you definitely need more phosphorus because basically your phosphorus is almost non-existent. So if it's me, then I'm absolutely going to be banding because the ground is super heavy, stuff isn't going to move around very well, and your levels are so low that if you don't get some fertility into that plant fairly quickly, you're in trouble. In terms of micronutrients, the only one that was like crazy concerning to me was the zinc. And your yeah, your manganese and your iron levels look low. I think that's because of who's running the test here in the lab. But your zinc levels are really low, a single digit parts per million. So I, I'd also look at some kind of product. It doesn't necessarily have to be in your soybean crop here, but sooner or later, you got to get some zinc out there. And I know it's it's so tough because fertilizer is high priced. You're renting the ground. So in the short term, I'm probably just going to focus mainly on phosphorus, a little bit of potassium, and then take a look at can I maybe get some zinc out there? Not much, but just a little bit. So anyway, yeah, I, it's a struggle when you got a drainage issue and then you got these other things to fix and you can't invest lots of dollars because you don't own the ground. So I know it's it, it's it's hard to do. All right. Next question comes from Barat and he asks, how much distance should I have from each drainage pipe? So I assume this had to do with, oh yeah, it was a, a question about saline soils. So 
whenever you have a saline soil, you want to look at where is my problem the worst. So that's where especially, let's say you had an area and you can see all oh, this area is, is kind of bad. Go with really small grids or zones for soil sampling, like one acre or something like that. So you can determine, okay, where is it really super bad? And I just say you want your, your tile lines really close together where it's super bad, maybe even 20 feet apart. Chances are it's not a big area or anything, but we always look at cation exchange capacity. In other words, how heavy is the ground? The heavier the ground, the closer together the tile lines. The lighter the soil and the deeper you want to run with your tile line, then the farther apart you can be. But when it's a saline soil, we got to get this fixed. And the good news is saline is salt. Salt is leachable. So if you just fix the drainage problem, that saline issue will go away in time, I will promise you. But we we got to have enough tile there to take care of the problem. So if I saw your soil test, I can maybe give you a little bit better idea. But just as a relative or as a general statement, I'd say you really want those lines pretty close together in your worst areas. All right, next one here is John from Michigan. He says, my soils are sandy to loamy, CEC of 5 to 15, pH of 6 to 7.5, corn, soybean, wheat rotation. I love and appreciate the live stream seminars and weekly videos you do. My question is, I've heard Neil Kinsey and you remark on how it's hard to build potash on high pH soils. If I make applications to a high pH soil, does it simply get tied up into another form or does it not have a site on the soil to bond and leach out? Yes, it could not have a, it might not have a site on the soil and it might not replace something that is already in that soil. That gets to be the concern sometimes. Anyway, he says, what is a high pH? Well, Kinsey will say six and a half or above. He's worried about building potassium levels with potash. Now, we have proven that you can do it even in really high pH soils, even in eight and a half. But I would just say if you've got high pH soils, you need to make sure you have two things taken care of. One, do you have good drainage? Now, if you only have a CEC of 5 to 15, the odds are slim that you need tile in your whole field. But maybe just in some low grounds and things like that, maybe you need a little bit of tile. Okay, so I'd solve that problem. The next thing you want to make sure you're doing if you have high pH, and by for me, I'm talking above 7. You just want to make sure you have more than adequate sulfur because we can, we can over time lower that pH just a little bit if we are getting excess sulfur out there. So somehow, some way, I'm making sure that I have more sulfur than the crop's going to remove, and as long as I do that and I've got decent drainage, then you will be able to build that K, those K levels in your high pH soil. I wouldn't get that concerned. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. We talked a lot about things you could do in your soybeans to hopefully help your yield and just as importantly, your profitability. We'll be back again tomorrow with more Ag PhD Radio. Before we go, I just want to say thanks a lot to our production staff. Thanks to our guests and everybody who called or wrote in with questions. Really appreciate you. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.